You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. I'm Christopher Hale, and I approve this message. I'm wearing these same brown shoes to work every day for the past several years. Why do I do this? These shoes have taken me across the globe from war zones in Iraq, refugee camps outside of Damascus, African deserts, and now throughout all 95 Tennessee counties. As I've traveled across our home of Tennessee these past few years, meeting with, listening to, and learning from Democrats, Republicans, and most importantly, those who have given up on the political process altogether, these shoes have reminded me of the most important lesson life has taught me. Everywhere I go, I go in service of the people, particularly those who are left out and left behind. That's why I've decided to run for the United States Congress. I want to fight every day to make life better for you and your family. Here's the truth. Our beloved Tennessee and America are in trouble. Ravaged by a deadly disease, our government has failed to meet the highest needs of our people. Tennesseans need help. Healthcare, rural hospitals, good jobs, and living wages are no longer questions of left versus right, but right versus wrong. Sadly, we have a congressman who doesn't show up. Overwhelmed by scandals, he's gone into hiding and is never coming back. First as a doctor, and then as a congressman, Scott Desjardins took an oath to do no harm and to protect our people. He's violated that oath. Before the virus came, Dr. Desjardins did nothing to stop it. Now that it's here, he's doing little to help us. I'm different. I spent my life in public service and advocacy standing up to the bullies, fighting for the forgotten, and making good things happen. My faith has taught me something. The joys and the hopes... The suffering and anxieties of the people of Tennessee must be the joys and the hopes, the suffering and the anxieties of our elected leaders. We cannot represent who we do not know. We cannot represent who we do not love. Though I can't shake your hand, in the unique ways that mark these dark times, I want to meet you. I want to know you and your story. I want to learn from you. And to every Tennessean who is struggling, whether from the deadly virus, the inability to find good work, a checkered past, or a dim future, I want you to know this. I'll walk with you the entire way forward. Help is on the way. God willing, I'll see you on the road soon. Until then, stay safe and join me on this journey as we make of this special place something all the more special still. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. That was a political ad, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) That is Christopher Hale for Tennessee. And I believe, although his website does not make it explicitly clear so far as I can tell, I believe he ran in 2020 for Congress there in Tennessee, but I don't see whether or not he is running in 2022. I'm not quite sure. What I do know for sure is that this is the same 
Chris Jolly Hale that I tweeted back to and am still suspended from Twitter for tweeting back to. And I don't know who it is that reported me. I don't know who it is that flagged my Twitter response to Chris Jolly Hale, Christopher Hale from Tennessee. I just don't know. It could have been Christopher Hale himself. He seems like a nice guy from his campaign ad, from his website, from his Facebook page. But it could have been him, maybe. Maybe he was just in a bad mood because he lost his bid for Congress in 2020. But whoever it is that reported me, if you're listening, feel free to cancel your complaint, delete your complaint. Twitter's telling me I can get back on Twitter if I delete my tweet back to Christopher Hale, but feel free to delete your complaint or Twitter, if you're listening, feel free to just reinstate my account or If you're going to keep it locked, keep me suspended, feel free to answer my question of how what you say I violated in your rules applies to the tweet in question. If you didn't catch yesterday's episode, I talk more at length about the circumstances of my being locked out of Twitter. You can go back and check out that episode if you haven't yet, but in this episode, I want to talk more about the person I was tweeting, right? I didn't know who he was. And if he read my tweet back to him, I doubt he knew who I was. It's possible, but I doubt it. He probably still doesn't know who I am, and that's fine. But it is a curious thing that we live in an age now where relevance is irrelevant. And what I mean by that is something that My son, my eldest son, Josiah, who is 14, he'll be 15 this summer, and I were sitting on our front porch here in Greeley, Colorado, discussing with our neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez. Last night, we're sitting there talking about books, talking about theology and philosophy and history and science, and my neighbor asked Josiah, what he's reading these days. And so Josiah said, oh, I'm reading Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death. And JP asked some more questions like, oh, you know, what do you think of it? And so Josiah's explaining how it's very interesting. The, The premise is very interesting. And, you know, it's really something that back in the day, people used to read a lot more books. A lot more people used to read a lot more books. And as such, the, as he puts it in describing Postman's position, the separation between the people voting for elected representatives to their government and the people actually running was slimmer. The common man read a lot more books, was a lot more familiar with political philosophy and substantive positions, argued fully, presented in their entirety, debated, cross-examined, 
criticized than we are today. Thanks to first the radio, then television, now the internet, we have access to a lot more data, but we have a lot less substance. And what that means is that we don't necessarily examine ideas for their relevance to our lives. We find out that Russia is invading Ukraine on the opposite side of the world, and that gets equal place in our discussion of politics in this country to rising gas prices. And anyone who says, and I've seen this criticism, anyone who says they're more concerned with skyrocketing gas prices, rising food costs, supply chain issues, shortages of goods on store shelves, and a rapidly increasing cost of the goods that are available on store shelves. Anyone who says they're more concerned about those things than they are about what's happening in Ukraine is called heartless. Oh, how can you? How, how can you say such a thing? Look at the Ukrainian people. Yes, okay, sure. That is very serious. But also, what are we responsible for? Are we responsible for the Ukrainian people first and foremost? Are we responsible for our family first and foremost? I have a wife. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage back in November. We'll celebrate 16 if you're good at math this coming November. We have eight children. We homeschool our eight children. To us, to me in any event, my first priority, our first priority, is these children that God has given us. All things being equal, my children being able to eat a meal is my first order of business. We wake up in the morning hey, you know what? We need to get some breakfast for you guys. My first order of business is not to grab my rifle and my backpack, strap on my shoes, throw on my camouflage, and book a flight to Ukraine or book a flight to Poland, and then I'll just march across the border into Ukraine and fight for the Ukrainians. No. I can actually probably help the Ukrainian people a great deal more by giving my children some breakfast this morning and making sure that they're all doing their math, they're all learning science and philosophy and theology and how to tie their shoes and how to make their bed and how to brush their teeth. I can help the Ukrainian people a great deal more by attending to the matters of my own household. And then from my own household, I extend outward as I get a grasp on my own house, then I start looking to my neighborhood. Then I start saying, hey, you know what? You guys need any help over there? I'll send some of my boys over to help you guys. Sure thing. It'll be good for them. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for them. I'll send my boys down or I'll come over and help. And then outward from our neighborhood, we say, hey, is there anybody at church, anybody in our church family who could use some encouragement or, hey, they're moving 
this weekend. Can we go over? I'm going to take my boys over, and we're going to help them move into their new house. It's a big job. It's a big task. We can help that family, make them feel loved, encouraged, supported. We're going to go over, and we're going to help them with that. Maybe something's happening at church, and we jump up, and we volunteer, or maybe we just show up, and we're welcoming, and we shake hands, and we kiss babies, and we build one another up. And then outward from that, so on and so forth. But it's interesting to me that my tweet at this Chris Jolly Hale has got me suspended. And I was curious. I I thought to myself, you know, I should just try and figure out who this is. This is how I came to playing that video at the top of this episode because I thought, you know, I wonder who this is. If this is just some random dude, some random guy, Chris Jolly Hale, at Chris Jolly Hale, on Twitter, or who is this person who's taking this position? I don't know anything about him. All I know is that his tweet showed up in my Twitter feed, quote, based on your likes. That's what Twitter's algorithm determined. Based on your likes, we think you'll be interested in this. And I've only been back on Twitter after over a year of absence, having deleted my Twitter account, and then thinking, you know, maybe I need especially with my podcasting, with my writing. I should have an account just so when WordPress has that little widget that allows automatic sharing of my WordPress posts of my podcast episodes to Twitter, I can activate that. And then if people click on it, if they check it out, if it benefits them, great. But at least I'm doing all that I can to grow this audience to benefit as many people as possible talking about books, talking about theology, talking about family, talking about homeschooling, talking about education in general, talking about what's happening in the news, talking about building out a Christian worldview. And what's so, I guess, troubling to me, as I have this morning, dug in a little bit on this person that I tweeted back to, which, by the way, just to clarify, there's a distinction. My wife pointed this out as we were listening to my podcast episode from yesterday on the way to church. She said, you didn't call him retarded. That's an important distinction. That's an important detail. You didn't call him retarded. You said that the thing that he had said was retarded. And there is a difference. But, you know, I look into who he is and how he presents himself and You didn't see it because I just played the audio of that campaign ad, I believe, again, from the 2020 election, which he lost. He did not win that congressional seat for Tennessee. But he's got all of the boxes checked. I mean, it was a really well-produced campaign ad. He is a Democrat, by the way. He's a Democrat for Congress. That's what it says on the little signs that people are holding up in this small-town parade. It would seem well shot, well produced, well edited campaign ad. But he's a Democrat for Congress. And then in some of the things that I've looked up about him, he is alleged, supposed to be a pro-life Democrat, which if true is very uncommon. I don't know of very many Democrats I've met who have described themselves as pro-life. That's 
that's pretty unusual. That's pretty remarkable. And I've said for a long time, the single biggest reason I could never, ever, ever vote for a Democrat is that the Democrats stubbornly consider abortion to be sacred ground. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, calls abortion sacred ground to her. It's holy ground, which is to say that abortion as a practice in her mind is a kind of sacrament for the Democrat Party. So it's a puzzlement to me. It really is. It's it's a head scratcher how someone like Christopher Hale can present himself as this Americana, veteran, man of the world, hometown boy, shaking hands, but not shaking hands because it's COVID. And hey, you know what? Actually, some of my proposed policies and legislation, the kinds of things that I would want to put to a vote and whatnot would say, hey, we're going to only do what the CDC recommends. We're only going to do what the public health officials like Dr. Fauci recommend. I mean, I would shake your hand, but only if they say it's okay. And then I will. You see some people wearing masks in the photographs, the still images on his campaign website, which is still up there. And it's probably just left up there because he's leaving the option open to run for Congress again. And he'll maybe just reuse that same campaign website, leave it open and don't say specifically whether you're running in 2020 or whether you're running in 2022 and just keep coming back again and again until that name brand recognition hits the magic number and then you're in and then you're in. Once you're in, you're in as long as you don't have some major scandal, but I mean, he's got it all there and Certainly, in a state like Tennessee, he's going to have to have the American flags. He's got nice close-up shots of the front grill of a nice new Chevy Silverado driving down the street, him in the back waving to people, literally kissed a baby. I mean, he is like definitely checking all the boxes, definitely literally kissed a baby. That's what politicians are supposed to do. It's in the job description, so... We know he's qualified. Anyone who would not kiss a baby should not be running for Congress, I guess. You're just not going to make it, which is odd. If you're running for Congress as a Democrat, like those two letters, those, the, that, the, the double letters <laughs> in kiss for most Democrats are uh, substituted for a different two letters. But yeah, you know, it seems like just from the pictures, what I can gather from the pictures and the messaging and that campaign ad, he seems like a pleasant fellow. I read through some of his positions and his issues uh, page on education. He's speaking very highly of public education. And he says that teachers should not have to buy school supplies for their students any more than soldiers should have to buy their own uniforms, which is to say we're going to compare teachers to soldiers because everything's got to be put in military terms. We've got to militarize everything so that we vote for things as if they are a matter of life and death, as if we're always on war footing. The war on women 
is just Republicans trying to save unborn babies from being murdered in their mother's wombs. But if you call it the war on women, then people get aggressive. They get after it. They get all hyped up. They vote for you. Smart. Yeah, very clever. But it is a puzzlement. Tis a puzzlement, as the king says in The King and I. Tis a puzzlement that someone like Chris Jolly Hale would present himself as a Christian, pro-life, running as a Democrat, waving that American flag, and yet I scroll through his Facebook and I see he has very recently posted the exact same statement to Facebook that he did to Twitter. And I quote, I say this with respect, Tennessee needs to replace Marsha Blackburn. And he says it again. He says it again. He, he wasn't content to just say it in Twitter. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. He intentionally said it again. And I don't know which, which place he said it first, whether Twitter or Facebook. But riddle me this. How is it that someone can present themselves as so Americana, as American as apple pie and baseball, pro-life, Christian, small-town America, and yet call for the removal of Senator Marsha Blackburn for two facts alone. One, that she's a Republican, and you know that that's the biggest problem. But for two, that she had the temerity, she had the gall, she had the audacity to ask Katanji Brown-Jackson to define what a woman is. Any Christian who knows their Bible should know some of the first verses. In Genesis, it says that God created them male and female in the beginning. What is a woman? Well, here's the simple answer for any Christian. A woman is a female human being. Simple. I can answer, and I'm not a biologist, nor would I call myself a theologian. I'd like to be able to keep up in a discussion on theology or biology or political science or astrophysics. For that matter, I'd like to be able to keep up with a discussion on how it is that a Christian, someone who claims to be a Christian, who is presenting themselves as a Christian, can also call themselves a Democrat. For that matter, how is it that someone who calls themselves a Christian can post a picture of President Biden standing there during his State of the Union address, Nancy Pelosi behind him, Kamala Harris behind him, and say, and I quote from March 1st, President Biden did a hell of a job tonight. A hell of a job at what, exactly? A, you, a hell of a, a good job? A hell of a good job? Really? Really? Please explain how your Christian faith bears any relation whatsoever to such a position. I'll wait. Now, you could ask yourself, Garrett, or whatever your name is, you might not speak to yourself by saying Garrett. I do, I guess, 
I was projecting a little bit there. But you might say to yourself, self, why is he so concerned about somebody who ran for Congress in 2020 in Tennessee? He doesn't live in Tennessee. What's this he's talking about with Neil Postman and the irrelevance of relevance? Tennessee's not relevant. What discussion does Tennessee need to have with Colorado, right? What relevance does Chris Jolly Hale have to mullet underscore Garrett at Twitter? Well, here's the relevance. This is America. And now this is the context that we inhabit. Neil Postman has some really great observations. I think if you try to apply those without due diligence, you'll find yourself hard-pressed to exist in the world as it is right now. And the fact of the matter is that Twitter is the public square. And so when Twitter decides that Chris Jolly Hale's tweet needs to show up in my feed based on my likes, I know that Twitter is doing the same thing with a lot of other people. And if everyone is talking about whether or not you need to be a biologist to define what a woman is, it really doesn't matter whether we're talking about being in the state of Colorado, Greeley specifically, or whether we're talking about being in Tennessee or Illinois or New York or Washington, D.C. or Florida or California. It's beside the point. His tweet shows up in my feed, and my takeaway from the way that Twitter has suspended me, and I don't know who it is that accused me of violating their Twitter rules, the one in question specifically against facilitating the transaction, selling or buying of illegal or certain regulated goods or services. I should like to face my accuser. Here's the thing, Christopher Hale, if you're listening, feel free to contact Twitter and tell them they really shouldn't be locking Christians out of Twitter for engaging in the public discourse just because they're not Democrats. I mean, Chris Hale, you're a Democrat. You, I presume, have never been locked out of Twitter. I feel like that's a pretty safe assumption. And you seem like a nice guy. You seem like you're very disciplined in your messaging. You've got a good team around you helping to present a polished image of somebody who's very electable from what I can tell. So you've probably never been locked out of Twitter, certainly for saying something like retarded. But I also have a feeling that if you were to use the word retarded, you would not get locked out of Twitter. I just, I have a hunch. And that hunch has everything to do with the kinds of things that you're saying. Like, for instance, that President Biden did a hell of a job tonight. So long as you are playing for the blue team, you will get to say whatever you want. But if I, for my part, come back and I say, that's retarded. And I do mean retarded in the literal sense. There's another comment my wife made yesterday. And she is by no means, neither of us are by any means prejudiced against people with disabilities Lauren volunteered for several years in high school at 
Camp Dovetail in Southern Ohio, a camp specifically for kids with special needs. And I can tell you from firsthand observation, that is what caused me to fall in love with her in the first place, was seeing how this people group, which had been unknown to me, could be so loved, attended to, doted on, engaged with, in a way that built them up, brought them happiness, made them feel loved. So when my wife responds to my having used the word retarded here, I pay attention and I take it seriously and I respect her opinion on it. And I realize and I know from having volunteered the one year and from knowing other people who work with special needs kids on a regular basis, I know that there are some people who have special needs family members or who work with special needs children who are very adamant you don't ever use the word retarded. And it is only for their sake that I would ever stop using the word retarded. But in music, for those unfamiliar, there are different tempos that the sheet music can instruct you regarding. Allegro, for instance, that tells you you should be playing at a certain pace. One of the paces that you can play at, that music can tell you to play at, is retardando. What does retardando mean? That means play slow. Because some pieces should be played slow. And I believe, quite honestly, that far from regarding people with developmental disabilities as life unworthy of life, the way that eugenicists and pro-abortion types often do, people with special needs can be very instructive, can help us to really appreciate certain aspects of life that we take for granted. I say this with regards to my asthma, for instance. There is something about having an asthma attack, not that I enjoy them, not that I look forward to them, but I look at what the good Lord's purpose might be for having allowed me to have this condition. I have asthma. I've been in the emergency room, oh, half a dozen times or more, mostly in my childhood, but a time or two in my adult life. And the thing about your lungs all of a sudden not working the way that they're supposed to, the way that other people's, most other people's lungs work, is that it really does make you appreciate when you're on the other end of an asthma attack what a blessing it is every breath. It's, it's unconscious. We don't even think about it the majority of the time. We just do it. We just breathe. We breathe in, we breathe out. For meditation and such, you might intentionally slow down your breathing, try to be mindful, practice mindfulness and all that. But the majority of the time, the vast, vast majority of our breaths, even if we do something like meditation, are totally without thought. It just happens because we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator. And yet, just like with my asthma, helping me to appreciate what a blessing it is to be able to breathe normally, kids with special needs can help us to appreciate that God's image 
is not contingent on everything always working properly all the time. It's not a physical condition, first and foremost. It's a spiritual condition, first and foremost, that we are made in God's image. Kids with special needs can absolutely be a blessing to their families, to everyone they know, to everyone in their lives. God has a special purpose, I'm convinced, for kids who are born with special needs. But there's a world of difference between a child being born with special needs. It's a trait they didn't choose. They have no power over. Typically an attendant condition that they have to live with and accommodate. Their family, their friends have to figure out how to work around, work with. But there's a world of difference between that on the one hand and someone writing it into the sheet music through subtle ways to slow down their opponents. So imagine with me, if you will, a scenario in which two people are running a race. And I'm not talking about a political race. I mean like a literal foot race. You're running a race and it's supposed to be fair. There are rules. You're going to run from this line to that line and see who gets there the fastest. And you're both going to start at the same time because that's fair. It's not fair if one of you starts sooner than the other if you're trying to figure out who's the fastest. So the gun is fired. You both take off. But the other guy, as he feels his endurance waning, as he feels himself slowing down, as he looks over, glances out of the corner of his eye at you running beside him, looking pretty strong, looking like you're about to overtake him, throws out his arm and clocks you right in the jaw. That throws you off balance. Next thing you know, you're tripping, tumbling, head over heels. And it doesn't really matter how fast you get up. Your knees are all scraped up. You've got abrasions. Your joints are all out of whack now. It's going to take several seconds for you to get back up on your feet, start running again. And you might hurt yourself in the process if you're not careful. He continues running down the field, crosses the finish line, and maybe you have some words to say. Like, what the hell? (laughs) You call that a fair race? And then imagine a scenario in which the judges who are watching this race back and forth throw a penalty at you. You get the penalty. Whoa, mister, we don't use that kind of language in these events. That's unsportsmanlike conduct. He won, you lost. Please take your seat. So you object. You say, ah, that's ridiculous. Did you see him? Didn't you see him clock me in the jaw? That's not sportsmanlike. He didn't win the race. He cheated. And the judges say, thank you for submitting your appeal. We'll review it. We'll consider it. We'll take a look at it. We'll get back with you. One second. Nope. We took a look at it. We determined that you, in fact, did violate the rules of this sport. Our penalty stands. You will not be allowed to compete in any more races today or tomorrow or for the foreseeable until you apologize. And so what you do is you say, 
No, I, I want to appeal again. I'm going to appeal again. I'm not accepting that. You didn't, you didn't even address the fact that he's acting the way that he did, and you didn't even actually point out where in the rules it says I can't ask what the hell. Sure, it's not the nicest thing to say, but he's look at him. Look, 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 look what he just did. That's not fair. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. One second. We'll review your appeal. Thank you for submitting your appeal. We'll get back to you. A member of our team will get back with you soon. And then the races continue on that day and the next day and the day after that and the day after that indefinitely on into the future. But of course, if you ask them, no, we're reviewing your appeal. But again, by the way, I mean, you can apologize anytime. And this, this can all be cleared up. I mean, we're reviewing your appeal, but you can just go ahead and apologize and admit you were wrong. That would also be okay. You can fix the issue here. Just admit you were wrong. No, I wasn't wrong, actually. Because now the bigger issue is not that I used that word. The, big, the bigger issue never was whether I was being sportsmanlike in my language. The bigger issue is foul play on the part of that runner. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about Christopher Hill, and I don't know that he's the one who reported me for having tweeted back. doesn't really matter. I know that I know that I know that it was a Democrat, that it was a leftist, it was a creature of the left who reported me, who complained. And I know that I know that I know that it's creatures of the left who are deciding to take that complaint and turn it into an indefinite suspension. But here's the thing. I mean, for all of my having just glanced, not over an extended period of time, honestly, half an hour maybe, of looking up who Christopher Hale is from Tennessee, the squeakier clean he looks, given the positions he's taking, the things he's saying, while claiming a certain veneer of respectability, the more it begs the question of, well, hey, wait a second. If you really are so squeaky clean as you're presenting yourself, if you are so Americana, truth, justice, and the American way as you're presenting yourself, flying that American flag, talking about military service, riddle me this, Batman. These liberties that you're talking about America standing for, where do they go? What happens to them when a duly elected Republican senator from your state asks a nominee to the Supreme Court of the United States of America to define what a woman is. I mean, we're not even talking about a common citizen. It's easy enough to shut up a common citizen like me. We're talking about a United States senator who is actually a woman. Oh, no, 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 no. Republicans are waging the war on women. But you're calling for the removal of a woman from the United States Senate because you disagree with her politics. And you say that Biden did a hell of a job, but also that you're pro-life. These things don't match up. They don't add up. They don't go together. So it's a curious deal. Christopher Hale, you're welcome to contact Twitter. Tell them to let me back in. I don't think you will, but you're welcome to. Maybe this is why you didn't win in 2020. Just saying. Well choreographed, well written, well acted campaign ad, notwithstanding. I don't think that people want to buy what you're selling. And oh, by the way, looking at some of your policy proposals, you don't think $10 
an hour minimum wage is enough. We need to work towards $15 an hour minimum wage because it's not about right versus left anymore. It's about right versus wrong. I I quite agree. It is about right versus wrong. Where do you think all this inflation is coming from? If not from increasing the minimum wage, regulating and taxing businesses out of the country, out of your states, regulating and taxing the people out of your states, printing money and giving it away for free, paying people to not work, then persecuting common citizens when they dare to question all of this because it just doesn't add up. This just doesn't make sense. Yes, that is a matter of right and wrong. I agree. It's wrong that you guys are engaging in a kind of theft from people by inflating the money. You guys are stealing from people who have worked and earned and saved and invested. You're stealing from them and you're stealing from their children. How can you be pro-life when you vote Democrat and you run as a Democrat and you say that Biden did a hell of a job? Do you know what it is that he's for? Do you know what it is that he wants? How can you be a Democrat? How can you vote Democrat? For that matter, how can you say that you're a Christian and you want Marsha Blackburn removed because she asked Katanji Brown Jackson, what a woman is. It just doesn't, it doesn't add up. It really doesn't. I'm repeating myself, but I'm just, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. I think we need to be careful about wolves in sheep's clothing. And I do think that some people portray themselves as moderate Democrats or Republicans because they want the office. And then once they get in office, they'll do whatever they really think best. The more polished the campaign ad is on the front end, the more light on substance the remarks are, the more appeals to suggestive imagery, positive association, negative association, subtle, quick, rapid fire, the more we see the fruition of what Neil Postman was worrying about and warning about in amusing ourselves to death. Relevance has become irrelevant No longer do we sit for several hours long substantive back and forth debates of the issues like Stephen Douglas and Abraham Lincoln engaged in, where at the end you really know, you really know what it is that they think about this, that, and the other thing. If they're an idiot, they have two hours at a time maybe to show themselves to be an idiot before you give them power over you and your family and your friends and your neighborhood and your church and your business and your state, and your country. If you ask me, the single greatest thing we could do for the Ukrainian people would be to pull our kids out of the public schools, homeschool them, reinvest in our marriages, read old books, and lots of them, and good books, and lots of them, commit ourselves to truth, beauty, and goodness as objective, absolute things. There's a great quote from... Herman Bavink, which I just encountered yesterday as I was editing his book, The Christian Philosophy of Science, available in English for the first time, coming soon, very soon, from the Reformed Conservative. Stay tuned for that. But the quote is as follows, and I quote, 
There is no problem with acknowledging the relativity of our knowledge as long as we do not use this to deny the existence of the absolute, end quote. Which is to say that our knowledge might be relative, but there is such a thing as absolute truth. There must be, there has to be objective reality. And we have to believe that it is knowable or else everything falls apart. Culture, civilization, law, morality, the family, science, technology, everything falls apart if we give up on the idea that there is such a thing as objective reality. Marsha Blackburn's question is getting at the heart of the divide between right and left in this country. The left has to continually come up with new things that are supposedly better than everything that came before them, or else it believes that it's on the wrong side of history. This positivist notion, as Bravink talks about, is predicated on the belief that primitive peoples couldn't do modern science. They didn't have the modern scientific method and means to discover the true nature of phenomena observed. And so they would just say in various ways, various forms, God did it. But now we are able to accurately measure, quantify, describe not only the things themselves, but their relationship to one another. And as Bobbing says, that only counts for something if you believe that there is a fixed, objective, absolute truth to search out and that it is knowable. But if you don't believe that it's knowable, then you get trapped in these downward spiral, my words, not his, these downward spiral searches for these extremely nuanced abstractions to deconstruct reality, but not to better understand it. The question of what is a woman was not sophistry on the part of Marsha, Marsha Blackburn. It was, a, it was a litmus test of how are you going to weigh in on women's rights? We can know how you're going to weigh in on women's rights, particularly with this increasing trend towards men identifying as women so that they can have the privileges of being in competition with women in arenas where they know they'll dominate by virtue of their biology. Is that a women's rights issue? Well, I guess it all depends on what a woman is. Is there such a thing as a woman? And the follow-up question, which someone quipped yesterday should have been asked, could have been, what is a man? All right, Judge Jackson, you don't know what a woman is. You can't answer that question. Can you tell us what a man is? Can you tell us what a human being is, for that matter? If you can't tell us what a human being is, what a man is, what a woman is, then why in the world should you be trusted to tell us what the Constitution is with regards to, in relation to, laws, edicts, policy proposals, actions on the part of the legislature, the executive branch? You just shouldn't. I, for one, think it is all for the best that Tennessee dodged the bullet on Christopher Hale he seems like a pleasant fellow, but appearances can be deceiving. I'm going to leave it there, though. That's all I've got for this episode. I thought about talking about, uh, I'll just tell you this. I don't know if anybody would be interested in this being a topic for an episode. I still need to give it some more thought. But I thought about having this episode cover Will Smith, 
clocking Chris Rock at the Oscars last night. Boy, howdy. I think I might need to process that one uh, a little longer before I'm ready to weigh in. But in any event, this is what you got. This episode has been brought to you by Garrett Ashley Mullet. My name is Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I endorse this message. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.